Hi, my name is Emma Rappling. I'm a junior at Oklahoma State University majoring in animal science production. Today, me and my group are doing a podcast over food safety. So what is food safety? The USDA says that food safety refers to the conditions and practices that preserve the quality of food to prevent contamination and foodborne illnesses. The Food Safety and Inspection Service of the United States Department of Agriculture, also known as the USDA, educates consumers about the importance of food, or safe food handling and how to reduce the risks associated with foodborne illnesses. Food safety makes sure we clean, separate, cook, and chill foods to have a safe and healthy food system. Food safety plays a big role in the foundations of the food industry. Therefore, we have to make sure we know all the regulations and also issues that come along with it. Here we are targeting college students ranging in age from 18 to 25 to inform about the ideas of food safety and to encourage them to look into the things that go into the food industry and how their meals and food are kept safe from harmful things. So this is my segment, food defense. What is food defense? Food defense is the overall process of protecting the food supply from intentional contamination, including preventative measures, surveillance, incident reporting, and control according to the USDA National Agriculture Library. Food defense protects against intentional problems having to do with contamination. This includes taking those problems they have and conducting research and trials to, in the end, have a better idea of how to prevent these issues. To make sure they do these trials and research to the best of their ability, they have something called incident reporting. This ensures they know how they know what they messed up on or they know what they need to do to fix um, for the next trial to better our safety for our foods. Lastly, food defense helps to try to control the environment um, with good management practices. For one, the workers um, performing workplace hygiene. This includes washing hands, changing their clothes when they need to if they're um, working with harmful chemicals or anything like that, and wearing gloves and hair nets to make sure we don't get any bacteria or hair into the foods that they are processing. All of these things help improve the food defense system and overall help to make sure we have um, something called food safety. So along with the food defense comes a task force and um, policy changes. This task force contains a well-rounded group of people that are experts in varying food safety and food defense topics. This group of individuals come together to agree on food codes and make sure the health departments are represented at conferences or meetings. This group helps to form food programs for local and state levels. They're responsible for changes in policies and procedures for these programs and represent the food defense system. Another reason for these food defense individuals will be their ability to be at conferences going over their recommendations to the food safety system and how we can maintain and grow um, this system in an effective manner. This group also does more than um, just work with other programs. It's for the consumers, not just going to meetings. They have food safety awareness campaigns brought about through the task force and this in turn will enhance the ability of the consumer to protect themselves and their family by knowing um, the information that is shared at these meetings, not just 
for those individuals. So another realm of food defense is the international side. This side's efforts um, help to institutionalize food defense measures and encourage the global recognition of food defense to prevent incidents that could have severe or negative social, economic, and also public health implications. The International System for Food Defense is partnering with other countries to provide workshops. These workshops are designed to incorporate train-the-trainer sessions educational presentations, and collaborative group exercises to support each, other's, each country's capacity to implement these food defense measures. So some of these measures that are being taken are to intensify the education of food defense in these countries around the world. Um, they're trying to incorporate them into academic cur curriculum, the development of country-specific food defense training, and also finding facilitators who are considered experts in food defense to try to help bring the system to life in unsuccessful countries. So all in all, food defense is something that is very real in the food safety system and needs to be addressed at all times for the safety of the consumers and the producers as well. My name is Madeline Owens. I'm a junior at Oklahoma State University, double majoring in agribusiness and ag communications, and today I'm going to be covering the second segment of my group's podcast, Let's Talk About Food Safety. In this segment, we are going to talk about foodborne illnesses, so we will cover what are foodborne illnesses, what are some common illnesses, symptoms of these illnesses, and who do they affect, and then also what causes them, how are they created, what are some of the pathogens that cause these different diseases, what are some of the different diseases, um, and what are some tips to keep your food safe. And then lastly, we'll look at the effects of foodborne illnesses. How is this an effect on food safety? What are some possible long-term health effects? As well as foodborne illness outbreaks and how they can affect companies. Foodborne illnesses are super common, and although they can sometimes be life-threatening and more serious, overall they are usually very preventable and easy to take care of. This is a public health problem though because we want to have food that is safe for individuals to consume. We want to make sure everyone is properly educated on how to keep their food safe in different cooking techniques, storage techniques, things like that to make sure that everyone is consuming safe food. How are foodborne illnesses caused? There's two main uh, ways that outbreaks in individual cases are caused, and this is through consuming two common types of food pathogens, either bacterias like salmonella, listeria, E. coli, or viruses like norovirus and hepatitis A. There is also um, parasites that can cause foodborne illnesses, although the two main ways that we're going to be looking at is bacteria and viruses. So like I said, foodborne illnesses are super common. In an FDA article I found, they said that there's about 48 million cases of foodborne illnesses annually. That's the equivalent of sickening one in six Americans each year. And although this is a major number, only about 128,000 of those are hospitalized, and only about 3,000 of those are deaths. So although they're very common, it is much more rare to see them become very serious. Like I mentioned earlier, these foodborne illnesses can affect pretty much anybody. People that are young, people that are older, maybe if they have a compromised immune system, they are going to attack people about the same. You can have a child, an adult, both consume raw chicken that hasn't been cooked properly, and they can both get sick. Now, the different types um, 
of viruses and bacteria, there are a lot of them, and I just want to cover a few of them today, um, ones that we more commonly known like E. coli. E. coli is a bacteria that when consumed can affect you in one to three days with symptoms like abdominal cramping, vomiting, diarrhea, and those are usually going to last about three to seven days. These are going to come from food contamination, maybe contaminated water, so it's a little bit less serious, although those three to seven days of being sick is just not going to be fun. Now, some things are going to move through you a lot quicker and hit you a lot quicker, um, and some things are going to take a lot longer. So, uh, like hepatitis A, this may take up to 28 days to actually um, come on and affect your body and present itself as an illness, and you're going to have a longer list of symptoms that are more flu-like with fevers and headache and nausea, diarrhea, things like that. But it's super variable on how long these can affect you, anywhere from two weeks to three months. And something like this is going to come from maybe eating raw produce that wasn't properly cleaned, contaminated water, um, uncooked foods, or maybe even cooked foods that have not been properly reheated or stored um, after it came in contact with something that could have caused it to become infected. Listeria is another one. Um, this can hit you within 9 to 48 hours or um, two to six weeks. They're super um, variable on how it's going to hit you and has a really long list of um, symptoms. And this is one that can actually become very serious and lead to death, which we'll talk about a little bit later when we talk about the bluebell ice cream outbreak of listeria. Um, but it just shows that these are all super variable viruses and bacteria that are going to affect you in different ways. So because there's about 250 different uh, pathogens that are going to be causing you to get sick, let's talk about some ways you can keep your food safe. So the FDA has released four simple steps that they suggest to use at home to keep your food safe. This is going to be, first of all, clean, making sure the surfaces in your house are clean, your hands are washed before you cook food, uh, and that you're also making sure your fruits and your vegetables and your food are clean before you cook it or consume it. Also, separate. Do not cross-contaminate raw meats, poultry, seafood, eggs, anything that can spread germs. And you also want to make sure you're using separate cutting boards and plates for raw meats and seafoods and making sure that those are all stored separately in the fridge. Next, cooking. Making sure you are cooking all of your things to the right temperature, making sure you have all of your raw meats, even leftovers, um, things like that, being reheated and cooked to a safe temperature that's going to be killing any sort of germs that are inside of it. And lastly, chill. Make sure you are refrigerating your foods properly, keeping your refrigerator at either 40 degrees Fahrenheit or below and knowing when to throw foods out um, and making sure that when you bring something home, you're getting it in the fridge and you're making sure that foods that need to stay frozen are frozen and foods that need to be in the fridge are refrigerated. Lastly, let's talk about some long-term effects and food illness outbreaks. There are some long-term effects that can come from different foodborne illnesses, whether it's a chronic disease, per permanent disabilities, things like that, um, but these are much lesser known about and they are be that's because they are super common. So uh, it is not something to be worried about as much, but it could be a possibility if you do get sick with a possible food illness. 
a food outbreak is going to be something that comes uh, is declared when two or more people become sick from the same food that or place that was contaminated. So, like I mentioned earlier, the blue blood bluebell listeria outbreak uh, happened in early 2015, and this was a major um, nation nationwide. A headline because people had passed away. Unfortunately, three people died, uh, and this was an outbreak of listeria in their ice cream. And if this is not properly taken care of by the company, it can have long-term negative effects on their reputation. That's going to kind of wrap up my segment, and we are next going to hear from my partner, Chloe Black, on some of the different uh, guidelines in processing plants. Hi, I'm Chloe Black. I'm a senior majoring in animal science with a minor in food science. Today I'd like to talk to you about the guidelines in place for processing plants. It is very important that all meat processing plants are clean where products are protected from any type of contamination. There are many guidelines and rules that are in place today, but the three I believe are the most important are refrigeration, hygiene, and cleaning and sanitation. Refrigeration is used to immediately cool down the meat after slaughter. Refrigeration is used to maintain the chilled state of meat for long periods of time. Refrigerators and processing facilities should be kept from negative 0 degrees Celsius to negative 3 degrees Celsius for maximum shelf life. Keeping the meat at these temperatures helps retard bacteria growth. Storage shelves and racks need to be utilized in the refrigerator to keep all products off the floor to avoid possible contamination. The doors, floors, and walls of the refrigerator should be made of material that is durable, frost-free, unaffected by moisture, non-corrosive, non-toxic, and can easily be cleaned. Cleaning and sanitation are very important in any processing facility and must be done frequently. The goal of proper sanitation and cleaning is to prevent bacteria growth and foodborne illness from starting in the plant. Improper sanitation practices can lead to outbreaks of foodborne illnesses. Faulty sanitation and cleaning practices can lead to a loss of sales, the company's reputation can be ruined, Consumers lose confidence in the product, and consumers can take legal actions against the company. Each food, each food safety program must implement good manufacturing practices. These include sanitation standard operating procedures, a hazard analysis critical control point, an established recall program. Cleaning is the removal of organic material, dirt, manure, guts, hooves, carcass remains, and meat scraps. This must occur before sanitation takes place. Cleaning and sanitation of equipment needs to be conducted to protect against food contamination, food contact surfaces, or food packaging materials. Around the facility, there should be sanitation sinks with hot water that is about 82 degrees Fahrenheit. All small equipment, such as knives and pullers, should be soaked often. Sanitizers that are free from undesirable microorganisms must be used. These include chlorine, iodophores, and quaternary ammonia. These are all good in the sanitation process. These should be rotated frequently to ensure they do, the bacteria do not build up resistance. According to Pork Information Gateway, a hog, a hog processing facility should be cleaned in this order, starting with the de-hairing and scalding vat. Drain the tank and remove the hair from the tank. Rinse the tank with warm water and scrub the inside paddles of the tank to remove any excess hair and debris. Dispose of the hair and rinse the debris away with warm water. Thirdly, rinse the tank with chlorine and hot water. Allow the tank to dry and lubricate it with mineral oil. Then you should disassemble the top racks of the tank. 
Remove any excess hair and debris and repeat the same sanitation steps as you did for the tent. Next, the hog scraping table should be cleaned. First, remove all the excess hair and debris. Rinse and scrub to remove any blood. Rinse again with hot, and hot water and chlorine. After the table is dry, lubricate it with mineral oil. The head inspection table should be disassembled. Rinse with warm water to remove any blood. Rinse again with chlorine and hot water and lubricated with mineral oil. You should remove all the stainless steel trays from the inspection table. Rinse the table and trays with chlorine and hot water. Allow them to dry and lubricate them with mineral oil. Put the trays back onto the table. Next, the offal room. The inedible barrels should be organized, sanitized, and denatured. No offal should, be, should remain on the floor. The holding pins should be rinsed thoroughly with very hot water. Make sure there is no debris remaining. The last thing is to remove all the drain covers before hosing down the facility's floor to ensure there is no debris left. Another very important guideline in processing plant is hygiene. This is part of the Good Manufacturing Practices Protocol. Personnel with good hygiene practices are essential for high quality production, including clean hands and clothing. They should wash their hands frequently, removing all soil with disinfectant soap. This should pay, uh, they should pay close attention and ensure they clean underneath their fingernails, as lots of bacteria live underneath nails. Personnel's clothing should be clean, made of washable material that is light colored so it can be bleached to eliminate bacteria. They should put an apron over their street clothes before working. Closed-toed shoes, preferably rubber boots, are required and should be cleaned each day when entering and leaving the plant. They should have their hair in a hairnet or completely covered with a hat to ensure no hair falls into any of the products. All safety chains, gloves, aprons, and wrist guards should always be covered with washable coverings such as plastic gloves and should be sanitized after each use. No jewelry, buttons, badges, or any other loose hanging objects should be worn in the facility. Processing plants are required to have very strict rules to ensure foods, food is safe for all consumers. Refrigeration, personal hygiene, cleaning, and sanitation are all very important in following protocol. Hello everyone, my name is Piper Turner. I am a freshman at Oklahoma State University studying animal science with a pre-vet concentration. For my segment, I will be talking to you all about how the government regulates food safety within the United States. In this episode, I'm going to introduce to you the Food and Drug Administration and the United States Department of Agriculture, how the government regulates food safety in retail and how food labels impact food safety. In the United States, there are two major groups that regulate food safety at the federal level, the Food and Drug Administration, or the FDA, and the United States Department of Agriculture, or the USDA. The FDA mission is to protect public health by ensuring the safety, efficiency, and security of human and veterinary drugs, biological products, and medical services, and by ensuring the safety of our nation's food supply, cosmetics, and products that emit radiation. The FDA implements scientific research to protect our United to protect our US food supply. The USDA has a separate service called the Food Safety and Inspection Service, or the FSIS. The FSIS ensures the nation's meat, poultry, and processed egg supply is wholesome, safe, and properly labeled. While the FDA and USDA are separate entities that address different aspects of food safety, they also work together from time to time within the USDA and FDA cooperation. 
According to the USDA, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the FDA regulates foods other than meat, poultry, and processed egg products that are regulated by the USDA. FDA's Center for Food Safety and Applied Nutrition provides policy and planning inspections and scientific research on issues related to the food safety of to the safety of foods, cosmetics, and plant health. Together, the USDA and FDA collaborate on food protection, related science, emergency response, and preparedness. Now that we have met the FDA and the USDA, how do they protect our food? One way is through the FDA food code. According to the FDA, the food code is a model that assists food control jurisdiction at all levels of government by providing them with, sci with a scientifically sound technical and legal base for regulating the retail of food service the retail and food service segment of the industry. The, the FDA food code is released every two years and provides new information for retail industries. The FDA also aids over 3,000 state, local, and tribal agencies within the U.S. that are responsible for the oversight of over 1 million food establishments to promote the application of science-based food safety principles in retail and food service. The FSIS is the USDA's number one regulatory service in the United States. The FISI implements the Federal Meat Inspection Act, the Poultry Products Inspection Act, and the Egg Products Inspection Act, as well as the Humane Animal Handling Act. Another corporation that is outside of the FDA and the USDA that helps with regulation as well is the Food Safety Council. According to the United Fresh Produce Association, the council focuses on all aspects of food safety, technology, and food security through the total supply chain. Now, imagine that you're walking down the grocery store and you see an array of cereal boxes, or you're walking down the meat, the meat aisle and you see an array of chicken. All of these products have labels on them, but what do these labels mean? Well, food labels provide a major, play a major role in food safety. The United States Department of Agriculture provides inspection for proper labeling of the commercial supply of meat, poultry, and eggs. The FDA is responsible for the majority of other food products, such as bread or cereal. The National Organic Program is a regulatory program within the United States Department of Agriculture in their Agricultural Marketing Service Department, and that just develops organic food labeling standards. According to the Federal Trade Commission, the Fair Packaging and Labeling Act directs the Federal Trade Commission and the FDA to issue regulations requiring all consumer commodities be labeled to disclose net contents, identity of commodity, and name and place of businesses of the products, manufacturer, packer, or distribution. Essentially, the act requires that food labels provide all the information consumers require to know before purchasing. The USDA inspection seal means that your food meets quality standards that have been inspected by the USDA and how the FSIS is implementing all of the acts stated previously. Food safety is a major priority in the United States and the U.S. government. The USDA and FDA work separately and together to provide the United States with safe produce, meat, and eggs at the retail level and that are adequately labeled. From food defense, foodborne illness, processing plants, and government regulation, food safety plays a key role in many sectors of the U.S. 
Emma, Maddie, Chloe, and myself, thank you for taking time to listen to our podcast on food safety, and we hope you have found it informative.